Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. The title of my message is God is in the only wonder worker. God is in the only wonder worker. You know, I've been rereading uh, the book of Luke lately, and I don't typically reread a book um, back to back to back, but I've been really fascinated by just watching and listening and, and relearning from Jesus. You know, just because you learn from Jesus one time doesn't mean that you know everything there is to know about Jesus. You know, Isaiah speaks of God in, in heaven, and he said the angels just keep going around him, and they just keep saying, holy, holy, holy. And the reason that they do that is because every single time they go around God, they see something new. They see something they've never seen before, even though they've been going around him for thousands of years. And even though they've seen him before, every time they walk around him, they get this, they get this wonder. They get this reminder of who God really is. But Luke is the third gospel in the uh, New Testament, and he's a doctor. Luke is famous for being the Apostle Paul's friend and a ministry companion, and he traveled with Paul. And I'm, I'm guessing Paul probably needed a doctor, because if you ever read about Paul, he's always getting beat up. Uh, he's always getting made fun of. They've almost beat him up to death. So if anybody needs a doctor, it's probably Paul. And Luke was that man to him. But this is his account of the life of Jesus. And in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I have decided to write a careful summary for you, to reassure you of the truth you were taught. And as I reread Luke, I've been really uh, struck by how Jesus responds to situations. When you read or listen to Jesus talk, he is very direct. Um, I can be very direct at times, and that's not a way at winning with people. <laughs> that's not always the best way to get across with somebody. And I'm watching Jesus, and I'm like, I knew I wasn't doing it all wrong. And he's so direct. And whenever the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders at the time, they look at Jesus, or they ask him a question or test him, he always answers their question with another question. And that also got me in trouble because I would do that to my parents growing up and they would ask me a question and I would respond with the question and that's not a way to win either. Okay. But when he's talking to people in everyday life, he always responds in two ways typically. He responds with a story, what he calls a parable, or he responds with, do you believe? And whether or not something's going to happen after that has nothing to do with if Jesus believes. But it's if we believe. It's if we believe that he can. But right before the story we're going to read, the transfiguration happens, and Jesus goes up the mountain to pray, and he brings his three best friends, Peter, James, and John, and they go up the mountain, and they start to pray, and right when they start praying, Jesus' appearance starts to change, his clothing changes. He starts dazzling, he starts gleaming with light. It'd be like going up a mountain and you got your normal clothes, you got your hiking boots, your hair might be disheveled, you might be wearing a hat, because it's like, it doesn't really matter what I look like, but he goes all the way up, he gets transformed, and it's almost like all of a sudden, he went from a normal looking guy to looking like Brad Pitt, he's probably dressed in Gucci or Louis Vuitton or something like that, and like, wow, Jesus, like, you really changed over these last few moments. And then out of nowhere, Moses and Elijah show up. And that's really odd because Moses and Elijah aren't on earth anymore. 
And they came down from heaven and they start to talk to Jesus and they start to talk to him about God's divine plan for his life and about what he's about to do. And he's about to leave from there and start heading to Jerusalem to be crucified for you and for myself so that we can rule and reign with him in heaven. But they're talking to him and then all of a sudden, Peter, the outspoken one, loses it. Once again, he gets so excited. He said, Jesus, this is amazing. I don't ever wanna leave this moment. Let's just stay here. Let's build shrines. Let's build a house. Forget the other nine disciples, just us three, you, Moses, Elijah, we got our village. And right when he says that, then a whole cloud envelops them and God shows up. Father God shows up. And it's the one of the only three times in the New Testament that he speaks and everybody hears him. And he said, this is my chosen son. Listen to him. And it's like, if you haven't been listening to him, he's like, hey, this is all coming to an end. Listen to him. And then right after Father God is done speaking, everything goes back to normal. The lights fade. Jesus goes from being dressed really nice to having his normal clothes on, his normal appearance. Moses and Elijah are gone. It's just the four of them. It's just Jesus. It's just Peter. It's just James and John. And they head back down the mountain. What I've noticed and an observation I want to make in life and in scripture is that an encounter with God is followed by a move of God. An encounter with God is followed by a move of God. Abraham had an encounter with God and then what happened? He had to move. Moses, as we talked about the last few weeks, had an encounter with God when he was 80 years old and he had to move. The prophet Elijah had an encounter with God and then what did he do? He had to move. Here's what I'm trying to say. God moves through people who move. I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of use, and you can theologically correct me on this, but I'm just gonna say this. I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of use to just waiting on God anymore. I think he's already showed up, he's already given us his word, he's already given us his Holy Spirit, and now it's time for us to be the light in the world. And if anything's gonna happen in America, if anything's gonna happen in Texas, it's gonna happen because we did something. Because Jesus is in heaven, but he's moving through us. Let's pray, and I'm going to read this verse. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, speak through your word. I pray that you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive your word. I pray that we leave here better than the way that we came in. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, Tiffany. Luke chapter 9, verse 37 says this, when they came down off the mountain the next day, a big crowd was there to meet them. And a man called from out of the crowd, please, please, teacher, take a look at my son. He's my only child. Often a spirit seizes him. Suddenly he's screaming. I want you to imagine if this is your kid, thrown into convulsions, his mouth foaming, and then it beats him black and blue before it leaves. And I asked your disciples to deliver him but they couldn't. Jesus said, what a generation, no sense of God, no focus to your lives. How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Bring your son here. And while he was still coming, the demon slammed him to the ground, 
threw him into convulsions, and then Jesus stepped in, ordered the vile spirit gone, healed the boy, and handed him back to his father, and they all shook their heads in wonder. Astonished at God's greatness, God's majestic greatness, and while they continued to stand around exclaiming over the, all the things he was doing, Jesus looked and he said to his disciples, treasure and ponder each of these next words, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into human hands. But they didn't get what he was saying. It was like he was speaking a foreign language and they couldn't make heads or tails of it. But they were embarrassed to ask him what he meant. I don't know how this next conversation even goes there. But then they started arguing over which of them would be the most famous. Isn't this like us? Sometimes we're so worried about if somebody likes us, if our post gets the most likes or comments or it's not performing as well as the last one. We're just like, man, I wonder which one of us is going to be the most famous, if we're going to edge out somebody at work. And when Jesus realized how much this mattered to them, he brought a child to his side. Now, I'm going to illustrate this. Stevie, you ready? You ready? Come on up, bro. Come on up, bro. You got it. God, give it up for Stevie Washington. All right. Stevie is Stephen and Taylor's uh, oldest son. Stevie, you are the man. You know that? You do know. You do know. Because you've been trained right. Okay. All you got to do is sit there and look cute. Can you do that? Not yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay now I'm going to read this verse. I only need you for a minute, okay? All these people love you and they think you're the best. Okay, let me do this. So when Jesus realized how much this mattered to them, he brought a child to his side and he said this, this is very important. He said, whoever accepts this child as if this child were me, accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. I love these next two sentences. You become great by accepting not asserting. Let me pause. It's not about all the great things you do for God. It's not about how much you read your Bible. It's not about how much you prayed. It's not about all the good works. If you really want to be great, if you really want to do great things, it starts with accepting God's love for you, God's goodness for you, not just asserting. The second sentence, your spirit, not your size, makes the difference. Thanks, Stevie. You did good. All right, you can... Go have a seat now. Everybody give a hand for Stevie. <laughs> I just want to bring a kid upstage to do it. All right, uh, let, me, let me come back to this passage, but I want to talk about wonder for the first time. I want to talk about first times in our life. Remember the first time, if you're a parent here and you, you had a child, you remember the first time, maybe they had their first steps, and they were crawling, or sometimes they would stand, and they would kind of, like, they, it's like they didn't trust their legs yet, and they got the whole wobble thing going, you know? And uh, I feel like I have that wobble thing going sometimes. But anyway, so they're, they're like wobbling, and all of a sudden, they start to take a step, and your pulse jumps, your amazement jumps, you get astonished, you try to get your spouse in the room, if they're not in the room, you try to get your camera ready, you try to get it on videotape, and even though billions of people have already done this, this is your child, and you lose yourself and wonder at what just happened. Maybe you remember the first time that you ever went to the beach. First time I ever went to the beach, I believe I was seven, and I went to South Padre Beach, and this was a memorable time for me, and, I, and I've always, I, I love the beach. And um, each day I would kind of go deeper and deeper, and it probably wasn't that deep, but I was seven, so everything's big to me, right? 
And I got out deep, and my parents insisted, hey, you don't want to go out too far. And, of course, I'm a child, so I went too far. And I remember the wave got a little bit too big, and it slammed me into the ocean floor. And my dad, this is his hero moment, right? He said, I didn't see you, but I snatched my hand in the water, and there you were. And I brought you up. Is that right, Dad, or no? Yeah, it is. Okay. (laughs) But I remember being in wonder, and all of a sudden, I had this respect for the waves, I had this respect for the ocean, and I realized that it was much bigger and mightier than me. You remember the first time that you cried in a movie? A movie, I don't mean the first time that you cried in life, but the first time you cried in a movie, I believe I was six years old. Uh, I was at home with my parents, and they brought me a gift, and I unwrapped it, and it was the movie The Lion King. It was in a VHS, and if you remember VHS back then, what happened when you opened it? It had that one cracking sound. Remember? Remember that? Oh, okay. If you're a teenager, you just don't know, but you should, you should ask your parents about it. And, uh, and I would open it, and I remember slipping it in the VCR, and I don't even think they watched it with me. They just wanted some alone time. Like, here, here's an hour and a half. Go ahead and use it, right? You ever been there as a parent? Okay. But I'm watching the scene, and you probably know where I'm going with this, the scene where Mufasa is trying to rescue Simba. And while he's trying to rescue Simba, Mufasa falls, he dies, he's trampled. I remember sitting in this recliner chair, and my cheeks got real hot. I started getting red, my eyes got real moist, and I started crying, and I said, what is happening to me? What is happening to me? It's the first time that I'd ever cried in a movie. Maybe your first time on a roller coaster, first time seeing mountains, Remember the first time that you drove a car and you were just felt like the biggest dude in town? You're like, yeah, yeah, this is amazing. I'm the coolest person on the street right now. I remember when I was being taught how to drive, and I was a few months in, and my dad was my trainer, and he was teaching me the U-turn. And there was nobody around, we're on empty streets, and he's like, Brandon, he's like, when I tell you, I want you to turn the wheel all the way to the left. Now, I don't remember hearing, put your foot on the brake before you do that. So I start driving, and I'm at a cool 30 miles an hour, and I whip that thing around all the way to the left. And you know how you're supposed to take like three lanes to do this? I did it in one lane, one and only time in my life, because I learned my, time, my lesson in doing that. Remember your first time holding somebody's hand? You just kind of slipped over, you know? With your nervous fingers, you're like, man, I hope she or he doesn't reject me when I do this. And you held that hand. I remember uh, when me and Angel had been dating for a few months, I called one of my friends, uh, Dr. Simon. Dr. Simon, if you're watching this in Kansas, uh, this is about you. And, uh, and I called Simon. I'm like, Simon, I'm like, I always want to hold Angel's hand. I always want to put my arm around her. Like, I'm several months in. He's like, I was like, what is it? He's like, he's like don't worry, Brandon. That won't last forever. <laughs> You won't always have to hold a hand. And right now I'm looking at all the couples not holding hands in church. So it's not something that you have to do. <laughs> but maybe your first kiss and you felt like somebody just cast a magic spell over you and you didn't know if life could be even better than it was in that moment. But let me take it a step deeper because you know you're a spiritual being. Let me explain yourself in a minute. Everyone in here is a three-part being. You have a body, you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. But you are a spirit. 
You're not a body. You are not your urges. You are not your thoughts. You are not your emotions. But you are spirit. And that's why when we worship, that we worship in spirit, and that when we worship, we worship in spirit and in truth. So let's talk about a few of the first times, maybe in your spiritual life, the first time that something happened. I remember when I was 12 years old, it was the very first time that I heard God's voice. And when I say I heard God's voice, I really felt like he was speaking to me in my spirit. And it was just two sentences. But I could tell you where I was at. I could tell you the red fuse I was sitting on, the red carpet I was sitting, or, or, or sitting on. You don't miss red carpet, do you? Okay, but, but I remember that moment because I had this realization. I was like, wow, like I know I'm just 12, but like he cares about me. He cares enough about me to speak to me. I remember my salvation experience. I remember the second when I rededicated my life to God when I was 15 years old. And I remember that moment and the wonder of that moment, but I didn't have any emotions, I didn't have any goosebumps, but I just remember knowing that I made a different decision, a decision that would change me. I remember the first time that I heard other people praying in tongues, praying in the spirit. And I'm gonna give you an honest reaction. I laughed. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what is this, right? <laughs> but I also remember the first time that I received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I began to pray in my prayer language. And I remember feeling a whole different type of power, a whole different type of confidence, a whole different type of just knowing that God was inside of me. And that's the verse in Hebrews when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, that he's in you and he's not going anywhere. I remember the first time that I saw someone healed in person, and then I'll tell you, just a disclaimer, when I was five years old, my two favorite TV shows, I would get on my living room floor, I'd throw my legs up on the entertainment center, I'd put my arms behind my head and I'd kick back and I would watch two things. I would watch the Dallas Cowboys. Come on, somebody. Nobody has disappointed me more in life than the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> the last time they won something, I was eight, so. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know. I'm like, there's more of this coming, 30s. No, it ain't coming. It ain't coming for a while, right? <laughs> Second thing I would watch, I just got a kick. I love to watch Benny Hinn. And he'd be praying for people, and I, and I would see this, and I would just be amazed and the wonder at people getting healed. As you know, as amazing as the first time was, if we're being honest, it's easy to lose the wonder. It's easy to lose the wonder along the way. You hit your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you're like, I've seen it. I've seen it already. But we experience something wonderful a number of times until it becomes normal. We have bad experiences. We have injuries. We have diseases. We have unmet expectations. We have disappointments. We have people offend us over and over and over. And we have this bitterness come at us till we lose our wonder. And if we're not careful, we will lose the wonder. I want to discuss three ways to keep your wonder. This is not a comprehensive list. This is just a list, something that I wanted to give you today. I'm sure you could add something to it. But number one is guard your heart. You have to guard wonder. And you know where wonder starts? Right here. 
Starts right here. What did the wisest man ever, Solomon, have to say about your heart? Proverbs 4.23 NIV says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. In the message version, he says, keep vigilant watch over your heart because that's where life starts. You know you can't just let anything into your spirit? You know not every TV show, not every movie is for you. Not every kind of music is for you. Not everything that tastes good, and there's a lot of things that taste good, is good for you. Not all substances are for you. Not every relationship in your life, not every close relationship in your life is for you if you're not careful. Paul said it like this. He said, all things are permissible to you, but not all things are beneficial for you. What's that business saying by Jim Collins? He says that good is the enemy of great. So many times we just opt for good and we're just like, man, this is good. I'm doing a good thing. But is it the great thing? Does it draw you closer to who God designed you to be? And if it doesn't, then it's probably not for you. A lot of people, when they make decisions, I'm gonna give you a principle that I try to live by. A lot of people, when they make decisions, they weigh it by saying, is this the wrong thing to do or is this the right thing to do? And I would say most of us in here, you know what the wrong thing to do and and you know what the right thing to do is. So that's pretty easy. But let me take it a step further. There's a question that I ask when I'm making decisions. This could be any kind of decision. It could be a physical decision. It could be a spiritual decision. It could be a financial decision. It could be a relationship decision. It could be a burger or a salad decision, okay? The question is this. Is this the wise thing for me to do? Is this the wise thing for me to do? You know, wise is a step beyond good. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is better than just right. Is this the wise thing for me to do? Plenty of things are good, but what is great? Guard your heart. The second thing is have a habit of gratitude. Have a habit of gratitude. Psalms 100 verse 5 speaks of how to enter God's presence and says this, enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. What is all circumstances? All circumstances. You know, Pastor Joel, some of you have heard, we've been together a real long time, and a lot of our team has been very fortunate to have been together a long time. And Steve and I was just thinking about how we met, but that didn't pertain to this message. But So I'm gonna keep going. Where was I? Huh? Pastor Joel, journaling, right. So he was our... I went to a school in Carrollton, a private school, and he was our uh, school pastor as well as a youth pastor. And I would hear him uh, most weeks, every Wednesday, and when I mean Christian school, I mean like Bible, five days a week, chapel, one day a week. A Christian school can be the coldest place on earth. So, uh, because some of these kids are living off their parents' faith, not their Christianity, but that's the whole goal. But I remember I'd hear Pastor Joel, I remember one message, because it changed my life, 
And he was speaking, as he often does, and you've heard him talk about this, he would speak about his practice of journaling, of documenting your prayers to God. See, spoken prayers are great. But what if you took it a step further and you documented your prayers? And he gave us 10 to 15 minutes at the end of service to actually practice it. And the worship team came up, and I got my journal, and I started writing down, and I put me, and I'd never done this before, and I started talking to God, and I wrote down my prayers, and then I put God and I waited, and then he started speaking to me, and I've been able to document my prayers, which is powerful, because you gotta be able to remember God's blessings in the bad times of your life, because God is always good, he is always faithful, and just because you're going through a hard season doesn't mean he's not gonna do it again. Doesn't mean that he's not gonna come through again. You know God's timing is not our timing. God doesn't move when we move, we move when he moves. And I remember doing this and journaling, but I'm just gonna give you a hint into this. When I journal today, and I try to a few times a week, I always start like this. I always say, I love you, Lord. Good morning. And I just start to thank him. I say, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for your leadership in my life. I thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for guiding me, for leading me. Lord, I know that you're in control, and I am following you, but I just say thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it's good to request things. That's good. But would you like to be thanked more than requested? Because when you say thank you to God, it shows a measure of faith that wouldn't be shown if all we do is request, request, request. Hey, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. And it's like, hey, I'm more than a meal ticket. I'm more than a coupon. I'm, I'm more than just something you need right, right now or want something right now. But it's all about relationship. Thank you. You know, my two favorite phrases in life is one, please. Amen. Come on, say amen, amen, amen. And thank you. And I will notice if you don't say it. <laughs> and that could be a weakness of mine. But I will notice. I love hearing the words please and thank you. Gratefulness isn't for one day of the year. Gratefulness is not just for Thanksgiving. It's for every day. Grateful people are happier. They are more peaceful. They have less anxiety. And they have more wonder in life. Have a habit of gratitude. The third thing is this. Remember God. Remember God. You know, that one might sound too simple. But if you look at your life, it is shockingly normal to leave God out of most hours of our lives. How many hours yesterday did we not think, talk to, or need anything from God? There's a word that God uses over and over in scripture, and it's one word, it's remember. Remember him in the good and the bad. Remember God in your wealth. We remember God when we take communion. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses 10 through 11. God is speaking to Moses, he's speaking to the Israelites, and he says, hey, you've been through 40 years of hell on earth, you've been through 40 years of slavery, and guess what? It's about to get a whole lot better for you. You're about to enter a whole new land, and you're gonna have to go through some stuff, you're gonna have to overcome some things, but it's gonna be way better, and you're gonna have a totally different lifestyle, and here's what I have to say to you in this. Deuteronomy chapter eight, says this, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. 
Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. You know, it's easy to pray for things when things, is hard, when things are hard. It's really easy to pray when there's not a lot of money in the bank. It's really easy to pray if you're dealing with a sickness or an illness. It's really easy to pray if you're having a problem in your marriage or with a kid. That's the easy time. But you know when it's really hard to pray? When everything's going right. When you don't really have a need, when all your bills are paid, when your relationships are going good, and then God says, hey, guess what? I know it's gonna be easy, but when all of this happens, I want you to do one thing. Remember. And if you know if you remember God and have a habit of gratefulness, you will keep the wonder in your life. You'll keep the amazement in your life. But just say thank you over and over. And if you know if you just keep saying thankful, you'll start to feel the gratitude. You'll start to feel it. You know, even if you don't feel the emotions of doing something, if you start to say it and do it, if you do the right thing, the right emotions will follow. If you do the wrong things, the wrong emotions will eventually follow. But if you want the right feelings and right decisions, right words are the first thing to do. Let's go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 31. Jesus said, what a generation. No sense of God, no focus to your lives. You know, having a sense of God will bring focus to your everyday life. What is he doing? What would he like to do through you? That's a totally different mindset that a lot of people don't have is when you go to work, when you go home with your family, when you're out and about or you're just buying groceries, whatever it is, hey, what if I ask this question? What does God want to do through me? You know what God wants to do through you? Anything you say yes to. And that's what he'll do. What can God do through you? One of the reoccurring statements that God says to me is real simple. Keep me involved. Keep me involved. One of the statements that Paul makes is never stop praying. That is a bold statement. Does that mean that your lips are always moving? No. But it does mean remaining in a state of prayer and just being aware of God and that when he moves, I move. When he moves, we move. If we could have keys come up in just a moment, that would be awesome. Thank you. But let me get ready to close by transitioning back to this passage in Luke. And I wanna just say this statement, and I wanna finish up with touching around the statement, is God isn't the only wonder worker. God isn't the only wonder worker. You know, when we look at this passage that we opened with, Jesus was clearly frustrated. <laughs> he was clearly frustrated that when coming down the mountain with his disciples that day, and he sees these people say, hey, we, we brought this to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. And it's almost like Jesus is thinking, this is what we do. Like you do this day in, day out. You are my ministry team. We do this all the time and you can't do this. Do you realize the power of my name, the name of Jesus? You know, my name and your name doesn't count for much, but when I use the name of Jesus, things can change. And he wonders if he's like, you're my closest 12. Nobody else has this. Why can't you do this? But this directly correlates with the present 
Because let me explain this. God is three but one. What does that mean? The Bible says that when you get married, when I got married, it says that the two become one. When me and Angel got married seven years ago, guess what? The two became one, but we did not become Siamese twins. We're still our own people. You know, God is three individuals, but one. God the Father is in heaven. He's on the throne. God the Son, Jesus, is on the right hand of the Father in heaven on the throne. Jesus is not in your heart. That would be weird, okay? It would be weird to be just a blood-pumping organ just hanging out. Like, man, this, this is the life. No, Jesus is in heaven. But God the Holy Spirit is on the earth. He's in you, and when you become a Christian, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And everything's different now because you have God inside of you. Your confidence is different now. The way you handle a situation is totally different now. When everything just blows up in your face, you respond differently now because you're a child of the king, you're, you're in the family. But here's what happens when you have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Stephen. When you have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, this is us. And you went from being empty, you went from being all that you could handle. But when you get the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Paul says this, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you just keep getting filled. You're like, I, I received that, but I don't have enough for other people. But you just keep getting filled and filled and filled. And all of a sudden, you're overflowing. All of a sudden, you have more than enough. All of a sudden, you don't just have goodness for you. You have goodness for the people around us. You have power for the people around you. You are more than enough. And hey, guess what? If you give, the Holy Spirit's just going to keep giving to you. He's just going to keep giving to you. Because you have an unlimited source. You have an unlimited power source that isn't exhausted. It doesn't get empty. This jug will empty, but you won't empty because you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And everything's different now. Everything's different now. You know, you have no reason for a weak life. The power of God is flowing in you. You have no room for depression when the joy of the Lord is your strength. When your mind is being renewed by the word. Because everything is different when the Holy Spirit is inside of you. There's no place for small thinking when you have the mind of Christ. There's no space for loneliness when he never leaves you or forsakes you. Because you are a little Christ, you are a Christian, you are a brother or a sister of Jesus, and it is about time to act like it. You know, a few years ago, we had somebody come to Pastor Joel, and, and he included me on this trip, and they had a niece that lived in one of the most beautiful parts of the country, and they had three kids that adopted their oldest. I might freak you out with this, 
But their oldest, they had seen a demon in their house. 13 different people had seen the demon. It was a demon doppelganger of their oldest son. And their oldest son would be at school, be with friends, but this demon would be there terrorizing the parents. They call her pastor, like, I, I don't know what to do. Would you be willing to go if, if, if I just pay for this? He said, absolutely. So we went, we went to this house. And I remember going in and we were sitting there and, and he started teaching them and reading verses on the authority of the believer that you have in Jesus Christ. And here's what's wild. When he started to read the verses, they weren't looking at anything. They started quoting the verses back to him because they knew and memorized the Bible better than we knew it. And we're pastors. <laughs> they knew it better. But there's only one problem. They didn't exercise any of their authority in their home. It almost like it almost be like being a billionaire and, and you live in a shack. It's like you have all this money, but it's like you don't even know it. Well, this is just little me. This, this is what I do. But it's like, why? Use what you have. It'd be like having the body and the athleticism of LeBron James and you choose to work at a desk. It wouldn't make any sense. Use what you have. I remember we got some anointing oil and we went throughout the house and we started dedicating each room in the whole house to Jesus. We said, Jesus, you're the Lord of this house. Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of this house. No oppressing spirit, no demon, nothing has any place. We prayed over the child and it was resolved. And let me just take this a step further. If you have any of this going on in your home, your home is your sanctuary. You don't just have to let anything into your home. But take it a step further, what are you allowing in your home? But also realize your home is your fortress, it's your sanctuary, not just anything gets in with you, your spouse, your kids, whoever living there, you have to be the head of the house. Be the head of the house. And man, that starts with you. You know, I really don't believe and it might be, you know, there might, the men, the man should be the most spiritual person in the relationship. Is that too much? And if you aren't right now, guess what? You can change. You can improve. You can start seeking God daily because you're the head of the house. That doesn't mean you're better or worse. It just means, hey, guess what? It's time to get in line and lead. What can God do through you? You know, I believe that Oaks Church, well, let me say this before I say that. If God is going to do something on the earth, it's going to be through us. Because God's in heaven, and it's just the Holy Spirit in us that's gonna do anything to change our world. I believe Oaks Church is not called to be princess Christians. It's not about our convenience. It's not about our comfort. You know, there's no growth in comfort. There is growth in discomfort. It's not about whether I like the worship or the message. It's not about whether I like the lights, the seating, the parking. It's not about whether they sang the songs that I want to sing today. It's not about whether the preacher preached the message or the topics that I want to hear. I mean, it's all about Jesus. 
It's all about having that wonder that wherever I go and I call this my home church, that Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm gonna be in wonder of you. Jesus is in heaven, but his family is on the earth and it's time to expand his kingdom. You know, the spirit of the Lord has anointed you. He's in you. He's anointed you to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent you to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that you may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You know, we serve a wonderful king, but he's gonna receive a whole lot more glory if you become a wonder worker. And it's time to operate in our full anointing. And I believe we can do it. Amen? We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.